You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, and welcome to the Business Hour. Today's business at hand is a topic that most of you probably are not familiar with unless you've utilized the services of someone like my guest to help you determine the value of a business uh, as part of a sale, a merger, acquisition, or divestiture, or in an IPO, an initial public offering, or help with the valuation of assets in a divorce, or help in, determine, in determining the equity in a variety of situations uh, for which you need a professional in these matters. Uh, a professional like my guest can be a real value. And so I'm very pleased to have as my guest today, David Hearn of SoFair Advisors. Welcome to the Business Hour, David, and thanks for taking the time to be on the program. Oh, thank you, Ron. Appreciate it. Well, David, I might also add to my introduction uh, that these days, um, with hundreds of baby boomers uh, beginning to retire uh, 60 and 70-year-olds, uh, who have been building businesses for the last few decades, there are a lot of folks out there who are turning uh, to their accountants or their attorneys who in turn engage someone like you and SoFair advisors to help them in the sale of their company. Is is this a frequent scenario that you've encountered? It is. Uh, the latest statistics that I've heard from places like the Exit Planning Institute and, and others have uh, essentially said we're in the greatest wealth transfer in the history of mankind. Um, there's about 4.5 million businesses, um, you know, according to latest estimates, owned by baby boomers who um, have roughly 10 to 15 trillion of wealth um, attributed to those businesses. And so, yes, that, to your point, it is a, a very frequent and common scenario that um, we face. And so that that is eventually 10 to 15 dollars of wealth that's going to be transferred. Uh, not all in the form of a, the sales of a business, but um, who is it transferring to? Actually, who who are the buyers these days? If if uh, and in fact, we'll talk about the range of, of of sellers of businesses. But who and it could be a broad range of ages and other sort of demographic elements. But who 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 are buying uh, businesses these days? So it's a complete mix. Um, some, you know, a lot of these businesses can be family-owned businesses. So sometimes the buyer is really just another loved one, or it's being passed down to a loved one, like a son or a daughter, or what have you. Um, but from an actual, um, you know, offer standpoint, from a, a buyer standpoint, uh, typically you're going to have uh, private equity groups, financial buyers of some type, um, and then uh, strategic buyers. So other competitors. Um, or, or similar situated companies are, are probably your two most frequent, too. Um, there's a significant amount of what we call dry powder uh, in the marketplace today, um, where essentially you've got money that is looking to be deployed in, in good companies um, or great ideas for things like IP, and there aren't enough um, you know ideas and companies out there that are ready for that money, um, because again, they want to buy someone that's um, been set up right and, and is in the right place uh, for them to invest in. In a moment, we're going to talk about what you do to help companies be set up uh, through strategic planning uh, in the short term or long term. Uh, but you know, as I said, uh, along with the baby boomers, uh, I would imagine that there could be even twenty somethings uh, who have 
considerable means to make uh, uh, an acquisition. 30-somethings, 40-somethings, and 50-somethings that are looking to make a purchase or even a sale uh, and uh, who could use the professional expertise of uh, someone like you in determining the value of their assets. Uh, so it's by no means uh, just the older clients uh, that have been building businesses for decades. Is that true? That is true, yeah. I mean, I would say that there's definitely a good portion because of the things we talked about earlier about the wealth transfer that are baby boomers, but the next biggest tranche of, of business owners would be that sort of Gen X, you know, uh, 35 to 55 kind of age band um, of, you know, whether they're in upper management or they're the actual business owner themselves um, or partial owners. Um, but to your point, there are, you know, millennials or elder millennials out there that are also, you know, they've created startups, you know, entrepreneurism is, is huge right now. And so, you know, really business ownership crosses kind of all of the various generational um, bands right now. Now, um, large corporations who are familiar with uh, how to seek firms like SoFair Advisors and, uh, and individuals like you uh, who may have internal or almost assuredly have internal expertise uh, in the form of accounting departments and, and legal departments um, know how to seek out uh, the services of someone like you, but how do smaller uh, companies or individuals uh, end up engaging someone like you? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically this isn't something that you're going to go Google for valuation people. It's not like you in, you innately know you need this, and so then you're going to go kind of search for providers. What, what tends to happen the most is someone around you that's an advisor, typically most often it's either an attorney of some type or uh, your CPA, um, whether that's an audit or tax um, accountant, or again, on the attorney band, it could be your family law attorney, your state attorney, your MA, your corporate attorney. You know, there, there's a lot of flavors there. But one of those type of parties uh, is going to see that you're trying to do something, you've done something. And so they're ten- they tend to be that first um, line of defense that tells them, you know, hey, we really recommend you do this or you are required to do this in many cases. And so oftentimes the business owner will, you know, has never been through something like this. And so they will then rely on the relationships of those um, advisors of theirs to help them do what they're requesting. So although the attorneys and uh, accountants are not directly engaging you, they're um, an integral part of your network and in some sense, they become a partner, and you become part of a, a trusted team, uh, so that it is um, you, attorneys, and accountants involved in helping an individual determine the value of the assets. Uh, and uh, I guess they hopefully work seamlessly with the attorneys and the accountants to uh, t- to help a, a person with a range and tell us uh, what that range of scenarios might be for which you're being brought in by an attorney or an accountant. Well, you're correct. The majority of cases are exactly as you described where 
it's a collaborative um, process. Um, now, sometimes the attorneys, uh, of, of all the different advisors, every once in a while you are engaged directly by that advisor, be, um, usually an attorney, and it's usually because of a specific um, need where they want something like attorney-client privilege where some draft work products can't be sought by attorneys on the other side of whatever's going on. But but for that case, you're right. T- it tends to be an engagement between a business owner and someone like myself. Um, and the purpose that you're asking for um, really is is uh, can span a lot of different areas. Um, I usually start with bank financing. I think most people out there are used to going to a bank for a mortgage. I think that's the most common um, you know um, circumstance that um, they can relate with me on. And so many times business owners will be doing the same thing. They're seeking a loan, and those loans are typically tied to the business. That's what's really the asset that's backstopping that loan. And so just like when you're buying a house, you know they order a real estate appraisal because they want to have comfort that should something go wrong with the loan, they're taking ownership of something well, with a business, many times there are no tangible assets these days. A lot of businesses are technology firms, everything's in the cloud, and so the, the banks will want a business appraisal, if you will, in order to give them comfort on the loan they're making, that there is some value to the company. Now, this is a really uh, very basic question, but can much of what you do ever be referred to as an appraisal, or is it always referred to as a valuation? Uh, it's a mix. I've heard the three most common are um, valuation, evaluation, I've heard, and um, appraisal are, are kind of the most common three. And you mentioned um, that you could be um, engaged by uh, a law firm. Is it generally the law firm, the large law firms who um, maybe want to have control uh, a, a little a measure of control in this situation that there are the ones that would engage you directly or is it can it be an individual or attorney or two no I th- it can really be both um, certainly the bigger firms will do it um, but it's really the context of what's going on with the litigation and if they're if they're worried the other side is, is extremely litigious, then they'll often do this to protect their clients. So, again, you know, if we send a draft number and it changes by 5% later, they don't want the other side to be like, well, you were biased, you know, you changed it for no reason. And so many times they'll do that so that way it's protected and, and these drafts, you know, can't be attacked. And, and that way everyone's only really focused on the, the really the final work product. Do you um, work with both public and private uh, firms? We do, but a significant um, imbalance to where we work largely with the non-public. There's less uh, requirements uh, for needing someone like me with a public firm, mostly because of the fact that they are publicly traded. So there is a healthy market that can kind of dictate what the equity value of the company is, um, whereas obviously a private company does not have that. Um, But public companies still are acquiring private companies, and so they still will use our services. Now, along with uh, a public firm, which one has internal uh, uh, capabilities uh, and expertise uh, and and generally will know of firms like your own, uh, what's the biggest difference or in general terms between what you do for a private firm versus a public firm? And... Uh, I guess because they are publicly traded, that could be one of the areas. Um, but uh, tell us what you view as the, the primary differences. So generally, the triggers remain the same, but 
again, the public companies are public, and therefore, um, if if we're talking about appraising their specific company, then there's much less of a need, unless um, there's some type of they want an independent person to come in and assess. They're doing some type of exec benefits package, even if it's with their own stock that's liquid and publicly traded. Um, they may tie it to things like market market conditions or performance conditions and they need an expert to go assess well you know what is the likelihood some of this stuff will occur even though we do know what the publicly traded price of whether it's you know whoever ibm or whatever um and so you know in general the private companies don't have a way to determine their value unless they hire someone that's disinterested and most of the time they need someone that's disinterested because for whatever purpose they're doing whether it's the irs or the sec they're going to they're going to think that unless it's independent you're biasing your answer to get it to how you want it and and with the um public companies i would imagine there's probably more communications involved and you get get involved with that as well to help them communicate uh internally is that true that's true um we're going to be taking a break uh, in a little bit but um when we come back we're going to talk more about uh business and marital uh dissolution uh, the change of control transaction, which uh, can include um, merger and acquisition, sale or uh, initial public offerings, uh, financial reporting that, that I just touched on, uh, employee stock option ownership plans, partner buy-in, buy-out, uh, small business administration loans, strategic planning, uh, succession and exit planning. Uh, we're here with David Hearn of SoFair uh, Advisors. We've been talking about uh, his role in helping to determine the value of a broad range of assets. We'll be back with David right after this break. 45 years of experience. The most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. My guest is David Hearn of SoFair Advisors, and David is engaged by a broad range of clients 
from publicly held companies to privately held companies to individuals who have a need for evaluating and creating valuations uh, based on on assets. And before the break, I had mentioned that the areas uh, that David could be um, addressing are business and marital dissolution, change of control transaction, including mergers and acquisitions, sales or initial public offerings, financial reporting, employee stock ownership plans, partner buy-in or buyouts, uh, small business administration loans, strategic planning, and succession and exit planning. So let's let's uh, um, and also uh, tax compliance is an area. You know, states and gifts. Uh, and you can tell us about any one of these uh, where you're more frequently involved and more intimately involved, and others where uh, you're you're less involved. But um, let's let's start off uh, by talking about um, business dissolutions and marital dissolutions but primarily on the business side it would be sales and and more the dissolution on the marital side is that correct uh true but you can have what i call a business divorce where you've got a partner and they they want out or you want them out and basically there's a breakdown on value typically the person wanting out thinks the value is a lot higher and the person staying in is going to be arguing or thinks that the value is a lot lower. And so this is when disagreements happen. And as one of the common, you know, uh, we have what we call the five Ds, um, which are they tend to be sort of the unhappy uh, part of valuation where they're being brought to us for an unhappy uh, item. And those are death, disability, divorce, distress, disagreement. And so divorce and disagreement kind of go hand in hand with a, with a business uh, uh, divorce, if you will, and and, and in fact, let's. Um, uh, I I know that um, because you have um, these disagreements about the value of assets uh, frequently. I would imagine you know you're you're put in an awkward situation where you become, in some sense, sometimes the bearer of bad news about the value of a company being somewhat lower than the owner might have anticipated or where um, a, a couple might have uh, different perceptions of value. Um, but let's talk about uh, how often that happens. And, and I would imagine uh, pretty often uh, people uh, see their baby as uh, pretty when it's not always that pretty and um, value higher than it often is. So wh- what do you do in situations like that, um, David, from, from early on? I, I would imagine you probably try to cue the client to now don't have false expectations. Uh, in, that, in that sense, you're somewhat like a counselor. Uh, and um, tell, talk to us about how you help someone to understand what you're going to be determining as actual value. Sure. So what you're hitting on is, is fantastic. So I, I, I've, I've guesstimated that at least half of all closely held companies have never had something formal like this done or even informal. And so they either have no answer to if you, you know, to what their business is worth or there's a number in their head that they've just come up with somehow that 
they might sell for that number, but it may not be based in any reality. And many times when you get to, you know, maybe an unsolicited offer or someone like me, um, the number or real number that be, is developed will differ, obviously, from their expectations. And many times, as you suggested, um, sometimes you're showing them a number that maybe is lower than they were hoping for. And so the analogy, um, and this is a bad one, you know, sometimes we are that messenger that's, you know, you've got a business owner whose who's bride, you know, if you will, his daughter is uh, this, be- you know, beautiful bride in their eyes. And sometimes we have to, we're the guest that comes in and says, you know, how awful she looks. And that's a terrible analogy, but um, that is the case sometimes. And it could be a broad range. I mean, there are th- Thinking five million, it's really closer to two and a half million, maybe. Correct, I mean, like a big, like one half of what they're anticipating. Exactly. They they may hear you know through country club talk that multiples in their space are you know six, seven, eight, and someone like me or someone independent out there is is assessing it at a much lower multiple, maybe a three or four. Explain to the listeners what multiples mm-hmm. are. Sure. So in in. The best uh, analogy I would give you, again, is, is going back to a, another real estate example, is when, when we all go buy that house, generally your realtor or your broker is running comps for you. You know, what are, what are similarly sized house in a similar area going for, you know, per square footage? We do, in evaluation, we do a very similar thing. That's a market approach. We go look to the market. We look at companies that have sold. And we look to see, well, what did they sell for relative to their own financial statements? So their sales, their earnings, and we come up with a multiple by dividing essentially the sale price relative to their revenue or relative to their earnings or some other metric. And so um, this is how we come up with with multiples, as we call it. And, you know, you talked about uh, comparing notes um, or just um, instinctively thinking because of what you've heard that you have a similar business to a business that you know was sold for a much higher number. And that's really not what a person should be doing is comparing themselves to another similar business. Is that right? Are there any other don'ts that you would advise a, a person so that they don't have false expectations? Well, every business has its own story, so they may provide a similar service to you, um, which could be, you know, the exact same. We may both make the same widget, but everything inside from a process and IP standpoint can be totally different. One can be significantly strong and best in class, and the other can be to be desired, which is why you get these differences in multiples for companies that may be roughly, you know, the same size and in the same service area. Because basically, beauty is only skin deep, and <laughs> until you drill down, you really don't have an idea of. Uh, I, I won't use that analogy anymore, and the opposite of uh, the beauty. But uh, <laughs> but you know, you're going to have uh, information sometimes based on audits that really tell you what actual value is, and uh, so uh, a, a real. Uh, number emerges. Um, let's go back to uh, we're, we're talking about business and marital dissolution. Um, is it like a dimension more awkward in in, in marital dissolution when there's uh, um, uh, some animosity between the two parties? Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're put in a very difficult spot where at uh, at best one of the two sides will love you because odds are your number came out to something that reflects their side's want or story um, but in reality since you're a neutral third party 
the best outcome you can hope for in something like that is where both sides actually aren't happy with you because that meant um, you were probably, you know, neutral to both sides. You know, again, now it's all facts and circumstances. Some some facts and circumstances really do may may really bear out one side's argument, um, but you know, in general, you know, there can be sometimes puffery on both sides, and so if you end up somewhere in the middle where each is unhappy, then I think sometimes you've come up with a, the best outcome. And and I've heard enough attorneys say that oftentimes it's exactly that. You know, both parties are not very happy. But that there was, in their opinion and the opinion of the opposing attorney or the other side's attorney, um, fairness uh, arrived at. Uh, so let's let's talk about change of control uh, transactions, which include mergers and acquisitions, uh, sales, and initial public offerings. And uh, y- you had at some point uh, mentioned to me uh, prior to the program that there um wasn't there aren't as many um, examples uh, in the case of IPOs because uh, before it actually gets to that stage you've been engaged to help with uh, with a, the sale uh, of a company but tell us about uh, uh, mergers about acquisitions about sales and IPOs sure so I from an IPO perspective I, to me it seems like it's fallen out of favor somewhat they're still they're still occurring. Um, but in the middle market, at best, what you'll see is a company that, that's high growth that could be a candidate for an IPO. What they do is they prepare for an IPO. They get all their documents in line. They get their processes right. And they even, you know, sometimes, you know, tell their employees and their firm, like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to march as if we're going to do an IPO. But in reality, what they're doing is they're setting themselves up to be in the best possible light possible to create a, an actual sale to a, a, either a, a third party like a financial buyer or a private equity group or um, a strategic out there. And so by and large, the vast volume of what I've seen is is much more where it's a full change of control, not related to an IPO. And so the, some of the steps uh, in preparation for an IPO and in preparation for a sale are, are similar, if not identical. Tell us what some of those uh, steps are uh, that you might take. Is one of the earliest steps that you may bring in uh, a third-party auditor to um, perform an audit or tell us what uh, some of those steps are sure no yeah if, if you've got a company that has never had an audit before uh, that's going to be uh, you know let's say you've got a company that only has internal financials then yes we're going to want to possibly you know go up an accountant if their accountant doesn't perform audits for example but but yes they they're, they're going to at a minimum need to do some type of re- reviewed financials or or a full-blown audit uh, again a lot of this again if you put yourself in a, in a buyer's Seat, you know, what gives them comfort? You know, do audited financials give them comfort or unaudited, right? Someone that's independent that's done an audit is going to give them a lot higher comfort, right? And so you're trying to do things to, again, give that buyer the most comfort possible and in turn offer you, you know, a higher multiple or higher sales price at the end of the day. Um, and so an audit is a great example. Um, you know, you set up a data room, which is a virtual, cl- you know, cloud file room, and you start treating it as if you were selling, even if you're not ready to sell yet. And that way, if there ever is an unsolicited offer or you want to run an actual auction process, you've got everything in a row. 
when a buyer is asking you for for different information, you can hit them with 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 what you're expecting them to ask uh, quickly, um, which shows that you're you're sophisticated and you're ready. And again, these are all things that help lower risk from the buyer's viewpoint and show that you know, you're ready for this. And, and am I mistaken? But uh, in the name of the buyer's comfort. An audit is almost always something that they would like to see. Correct. And then your role is to convince the seller that they should undertake it because there'll be value. And, in fact, again, we chatted and you were saying that oftentimes you improve the valuation and up the price. And it could be very favorably for the buyer. I mean, for the seller, rather. Correct. Yeah. Typically, we're coming in and giving the business a baseline value. And there's inevitably going to be what's called a value gap or a profit gap. And so the best-in-class companies are going to have the highest earnings margins, which means you know more of their sale dollar is falling to the bottom line. Uh, and so inevitably there will be this value gap where the best-in-class companies with the best margins are getting the best multiples. And so it's really giving you this benchmark, and now we know, okay, well, we want to get – to the best-in-class multiples, and so we need to start doing things to get us there, things like getting an audit done and de-risking other parts of the operations. Um, we're going to be taking another break. When we come back, we'll, we'll start talking about something we touched on, which is the financial reporting, which probably uh, happens more with public companies, but, you can, but there are some large private companies for whom you uh, have to help them um, with uh, financial reporting, uh, Internally and externally, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So we're uh, here with David Hearn of SoFair Advisors. We're talking about the range of valuations that he performs for companies, for individuals, public and private. Uh, And we'll be back to talk with David more about this uh, after the break. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and I'm really pleased to have as my guest today David Hearn of SoFair Advisors, who's been talking about his role and the firm's role in helping individuals and companies, both public and private, to perform valuations to determine actual value of assets for the purpose of mergers, acquisitions, sales, uh, IPOs, and and some of the things that he does along the way to help companies prepare. Uh, one of the things is this area of financial reporting and uh you have common stock, stock option grants, uh, purchase price allocations, impairment testing. Tell us about uh, um, where you might typically uh, assist a client in, in financial reporting and, and a little bit of what goes into that. Sure. Uh, usually in two main contexts, typically either your accountant or maybe a fractional CFO is coming in and seeing you've done something and you haven't performed evaluation. And so GAAP, or generally accepted accounting principles, which is what you know your audited financials are supposed to reflect, um, has a litany of rules on when certain things have to be valued. So it's not even an option. And so you're out of compliance technically if you don't have this done. And so common examples are um, you know, triggering events for impairment attesting, as you mentioned. A common one would be we just lost our biggest customer. Usually it's something sudden um, and usually something negative um, that could trigger where we need to test for things like impairment, which would be a write-down. Um, a biggie is any company that's, that's private that's issuing some type of equity incentive like options or warrants or SARS or, you know, there's like six or seven acronyms that all kind of means, you know, kind of something similar. Um, Again, there's a required accounting and tax rule that you need to have your business valued in order to set what that <clears throat> that strike price is worth. Um, and um, same thing around acquisitions. There's there's <coughs> certain purchase accounting rules that must be followed, like valuing intellectual property acquired. Um, most often, I usually see they've bought a proprietary proprietary tech or um, like software. Or it's the customer base, which is what they're going after. And GAP requires you to book that on your books. And so these are valuations that, for accounting and tax, are, are necessary to stay GAP compliant. Um, th- you mentioned intellectual properties, and, and I would imagine um, uh, whether it's been your personal experience uh, or uh, not so much your personal experience, it's still out there in the real world, particularly with so many different uh, software companies and creative companies uh, that have what I would consider vaporware as part of their uh, service or product offerings can get very um, um, nebulous uh, in terms of uh, uh, to, to, to take that um, uh, cloud analogy um there's a lot of subjectivity, and, and so uh, does it require closer scrutiny on your part to help them figure out what they see as an intellectual property with a much greater value, and it's more qualitative than quantitative? Uh, is, there, is that kind of tricky? 
Uh, it is, yeah. Valuation does have a, a, you know, sometimes you'll hear, you know, it's more art than science. You know, it, it, to me, it's a similar analogy to what you're talking about. But if you look at publicly traded firms, okay, they are no longer priced. They used to be priced on tangible assets, things they had, you know, and that was what their stock price was driven on the most. Now it's it's all intellectual property. So the same can be said for uh, closely held or private companies as well. So the more you can do to um, establish this IP and defend this IP, the more valuable the, your firm. They tend to appear most often in four main buckets. Usually it's, it's some it's your employee base. You've just got better people, better retention. Um, you know the best candidates. Um, Another is culture, which kind of go hand in hand with that. Um, that's probably the hardest to get to um, and probably the, the hardest to integrate as a buyer if someone buys your company. But the other two is your customer base, which you have a lot of control over, and then the infrastructure that supports whatever it is you do. So those are kind of like the four main buckets of IP. Um, and to your point, there is some qualitative aspects to all of the above. To to have um, some listeners out there get a better grasp of this, and I don't know if you've had any experience, although here in Atlanta, in, in, in due time you may, you have a big communications company, a media company. They own, uh, you know, Game of Thrones or uh, the Big Bang uh, Theory program. Uh, we all know they've been enormously popular, and the value is going to be really high in syndication. But then there are lesser-known uh, t- uh, programs, you know, much lesser-known programs that are part of the the um, the assets of the company. These are all intellectual properties of sorts, uh, and you have to anticipate into the future the popularity of these lesser-known programs, uh, book titles. Uh, music, you know, and uh, and and that would I seem to me to be definitely skewed toward the art uh, in uh, valuations. Uh, um, do you have any media companies yet? Uh, I've done more telecom around that. Um, you are right. Again, you know, one of the methods you employ when you value a company is an income method. So you're, it's I call it the crystal ball method. You're, you're projecting what's going to happen in the future, and so you're doing your best guess. Um, to your point on, you know, uh, your analogy was with different, um, you know. Um, you know, movie Programs, or show yeah. pro, you know, types. Um, and generally, I would think there's an 80-20 rule there. Um, and you see this with, you know, companies in their customer base, you know, the, that there's a small subset of products or services or customers that make up the majority of the revenue. And so you do your best. Um, there's levers I have as the appraiser where if we don't see documentation enough or we don't believe the story enough or it doesn't match what the industry is seeing enough, that we can discount that um, through things like cost of capital and other things. Um, and so we have have levers we can pull if we feel like you know those forecasts are too artsy or too rosy um, in order to kind of bring it back home to a more you know reasonable valuation yeah and i would imagine with couples that could be art you know <laughs> in in the home you know uh, art that they jointly have owned and now you're determining something which they hadn't really ever had uh, uh evaluated and uh so the valuation uh, related to X number of paintings or piece of sculpture gets uh, um, a little um, again skewed toward the art of valuation and rather than the science. Um, employee stock ownership plans. Uh, tell me <clears throat> and our listeners about uh, what role that plays and h- how you help uh, a company with um, that aspect. 
So an ESOP uh, <clears throat> is a lesser known um, option for businesses that want to possibly exit. Um, it's most often used, uh, you know, businesses that are at least 25 people. You've got to have a really good management team to make this work because it, you generally, for you as the seller, as the owner, it's a it's a, a longer transition out for you typically, um, whereas an outright sale to a peg or a strategic is typically quicker. And so it's got to be the right facts and circumstances, but let's, for this case, say it is. An ESOP is a qualified plan, much like a 401k or some other type of retirement vehicle. And essentially what's happening is um, the seller, I mean, the, the business owner is selling his ownership through the ESOP to its employees um, or management team, you know, and the employees. And so all of this is regulated under DOL or Department of Labor standards. Um, and so um, they're, they're, it's a riskier area of valuation. And so you want to have a specialist do this um, because there are differences between doing an ESOP valuation and maybe an estate and gift valuation. Even if it's the same company, there's there's different um, approaches to it you have to take for, uh, to be compliant within DOL. Um, you have to do a valuation when you set it up originally um, because, again, these employers are buying the stock, but buying it at what price, right? So you need someone to tell you what is the price. And then annually, DOL requires an update to that valuation. In some cases, you might have a private company that has been enormously successful, and uh, there's about to be a sales a sale transacted, uh, and the owner is is a, is a benevolent um, father like figure or mother like figure uh, who wants to um, share the wealth. Um, there's been some longstanding employees. There isn't a formal stock uh, uh, option plan in place, um, and so. They're, they're, in essence, going to just pass along some of that uh, money generated from the sale. And you've got a, a an office manager that's just been with you from the early days, and this is the time that you feel like you're, you're going to want to uh, uh, pay out hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even a, a million to some key employees, but there's nothing formalized uh, in place is that something you've ever encountered or that you know about? And do do, do uh, people in in your role help to determine, well, how are we going to break this down among these long-standing valuable employees? Because the owner stands to make tens of millions or more, and you have employees that he wants to, to, to essentially bequeath a few hundred thousand um tens of thousands to law and a few hundred thousands and maybe millions to some key employees. Have you seen that Absolutely. situation? Yeah, and there's things they can do ahead of time. Um, you know, again, this, this is generally when you're going to plan to sell – it's it's a three to ideally a three to five year process. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Things get rushed. Offers come out of nowhere, etc. But generally, you have enough lead time to where if you ha- know this is the motivation of the business owner, then you again go back to that collaborative approach. You get with the accountants, you get with the attorney, you get with the investment banker, you get with the appraiser, and you come up with solutions to you know basically do what the owner's wishes are. Formulas for determining this person has been with us for this long and the value that they provided to the company is this number. And you try to quantify it all so that you can come up with those numbers and recommendations. Uh, And also the big factor in this is more generous owners and less generous owners because there are examples of owners who don't want to share anything. Is that right? (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the short answer. (laughs) How about uh, partner buying and buyout? uh, 
uh, you probably have uh, uh, very amicable situations or more contentious situations as well. Yep. Uh, much like divorce, and in some cases, that as party uh, to a divorce, maybe. Uh, tell us about uh, considerations for a partner buy-in and buy-out. Sure. So on, on the sort of unhappy umbrella of that, you, you know, the analogy I always say is, is the only ship that can't sail is a partnership. Uh, and so to your point, you know, yes, there are certain buyouts that are sort of a negative context or where they just can't agree on a value kind of thing. Um, but on the flip side, you know, the other analogy I'll give is, is a, a lot of um, – you know, healthcare groups, something in doctor groups, physician groups, dental groups, they're typically structured as partnerships. And so you have a lot of different docs or dentists or what have you. And so as the, you know, older generations, you know, uh, want out, um, tend, it tends to be where there's a buy-in from the younger generations um, that are coming up through med school or, or, or what have you. And so um, they often need a disinterested party to assess what is that valuation. Sometimes it's for tax, um, but sometimes it's just because of pure structure with their buy-sell agreement maybe where, again, it calls for someone to assess what is fair market value for these buy-in and buy-out situations. You know, we're going to take another break here, uh, David, and when we come back, we can talk more about SBA loans, strategic planning, which is a big one, succession and exit planning. And we're going to learn a little bit about David uh, himself. We've been listening to David Hearn on the Business Hour. Um, We're going to talk more, David, right after this break. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, my name is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, talking to you about antique car insurance. Uh, in this hobby uh, that I've been part of for years, not all insurance companies and insurance coverage is the same. I would suggest that you call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com to find out some information about some of the best antique car insurance you can get, such as agreed value. Uh, insurance for your classic car. Again, if you're, when you get ready to, to, uh, insure your classic 
classic, antique, or even your street ride, call J.C. Taylor Insurance or visit jctaylor.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with David Hearn of Sofera Advisors, and we've been talking about the invaluable role, if you will, that David plays with individuals and companies, couples, public and private uh, companies, to help them determine uh, the value of, of assets, essentially, for the purposes of a broad range of transactions, uh, ranging from mergers and acquisitions to sales. And succession and exit planning is one of the areas that uh, you are skilled in. In fact, you have credentials, that so we'll get to that in a moment. But tell us about succession and exit planning and, and the role that you play there. Sure. So, I mean, they're quite similar. Um, you know, the end goal is to transition out um, the owner in some way. Um, generally, I define succession more on a intergenerational transfer where it's kind of selling to a loved one within the business kind of deal, whereas exit tends to kind of, to me, more mean, you know, an outsider in, um, you know, PAG or, you know, strategic or what have you. Um, but they're great because this is this is when the appraiser really gets to morph kind of more into a consultant and bring in other parties to add value to the business owner. So again, we're you're being brought in to assess the value originally. Um, generally, more often than not, sometimes there's again there's an underflatedness uh, to it from the business owner because the value might be lower than what they expect. Right. Even in the case of a family where a father is uh, or mother is a benevolent figure who wants to pass along the business to their children. And they have this perception of higher value, uh, and they're going to have to be told, no, uh, there is a lower value, and so the family has an easier point of entry into the ownership. But tell us about that. Correct, yeah. And and so then it really allows you now to shift into a true advisor and say, okay, you know, if you know your financial planner is saying that you need X dollars after tax from the sale of this business to maintain your lifestyle, and that number is a lot higher. Maybe it's a whole other turn and multiple on where you're currently at, according to my appraisal. And so now let's let's start talking through the different um, you know company specific things that are not done yet or could be done in order to get you there, um, and so you can maintain the lifestyle you want into retirement. So this is when you really get to um, be a true advisor and partner with others to help the company achieve their their goals. And so now let's cross over to uh, that somewhat broader area that is strategic planning for a company, which in some cases, you know, you and I had a conversation again before the program, and you were saying that that might be a few years. You know, uh, uh, the owner of a business was hoping that it could be sellable soon, in reality, there are some things that have to be done, and you can share with us what those are, but they might take a year or two or more. Tell us about that. Sure. So generally, change takes time, right? Um, for first, to get employee buy-in, nobody likes change. But even once you've made the change, it needs to take time and to reflect within the financials, right? We got, we've got to be able to show the buyer that the things we've done have added value and that that will continue on when we hand the keys over for the, for the ultimate, um, you know, successor. And so, um, big strategic changes especially take years to get implemented and start reflecting within the financials. And so the bigger the change that you're seeking, generally the longer time you need before we ultimately hit the market in order to maximize uh, value. And some of those changes could be big. You're having to help the 
and and this is something uh, for which you may become part of a lot a larger business advisory team that is helping a company actually show sustained profitability over the next couple of years, which requires some major changes uh, to to put them in a better position. And and as you pointed out to me, it could result in increase increases of millions in some in some situations. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So it becomes very collaborative. You could have three to six different advisors from insurance to wealth management to your accountant, your lawyers. So so it uh, yes, it, 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 it's a very collaborative process. Um, it does take time. Um, you know, the average sale, um, let alone implementing changes to get you to a sale, is a nine to twelve month process by, by itself. Just when you're ready to s- say, okay, let's let's hit this. Um, so yes, it isn't it isn't always a quick turn. It can be. Sometimes there's sacrifices that get made when you do that. Um, uh, but if you want the the highest probability of a chance of a sale and you want the highest ultimate value outcome, then the longer you can give your advisor's team to work with you on, uh, the better you'll be. And in some sense, a person is rewarded or a team is rewarded for the patients. Correct. uh, Associated with that uh, execution of that plan. Um, David, I want to turn to you now personally. Um, In some ways, you are ideally suited uh, for the role that you play uh, and and that goes way back um, to uh, because we've talked about uh, how in a strategic plan there could be these major changes that need to occur within a business. And for that, uh, you have to have a pretty good grasp of different business models. And you do because you went to Georgia Tech as an undergraduate business administration major with a focus on accounting, which would seem to be the ideal foundation uh, for what you're doing, but I'm going to talk about how you added to that ideal foundation with additional seemingly ideal um, education. When you went to Georgia Tech, how did you know you were going to be a business administration major as opposed to an engineering major? You know, Did you have any thoughts about Electroengineering, mechanical engineering, aeronautical engineering, chemistry. What? Uh, how did? And and tech has a good reputation, a great reputation, as a business administration undergraduate and graduate school. But did you enter knowing you were going to be a a, a business major? No, I did not. Actually, uh, my original goal was to enter through that school, but actually pivot into computer science. Um, and so I was a big IT junkie when I was, you know, coming up through grade school, and um, I thought I was going to be a, a programmer, essentially. Um, but I benefited from having a, a sister, um, you know, who's uh, 10 plus years older than me, and um, she had struggled when she started her business, um, and, um, you know, areas like accounting and finance and marketing were quite weak. And so um, based on her struggles, I knew that even if I did switch to computer science that I wanted to take some business classes to get a foundation. But the problem was once I started taking those classes, uh, you know, I kept taking them, and before too long, uh, the computer science thing was kind of in the rearview mirror. Because it became interesting, and you were able to sort of immerse your heart and your head, is the way that I put it, into those other subjects. Did you think you wanted to be an entrepreneur, and that's why you knew, you knew that these areas instinctively were important to you? Uh, not exactly. Uh, I think 
the, the the longer my career went on, the more often I've been asked, well, you know, well, is this your company or when are you planning to start your company? So I felt like the market kept calling for it the longer I went on. Um, but but in college, I don't know if I could if I could be so bold to say that I had that much foresight. Uh, so now you're going, you graduate. Did you immediately go to graduate school? Did you take time off in between? I uh, started working in public accounting. Um, I, I had the CPA bug, uh, and uh, my whole college experience was a big fork in the road. You know, do you go accounting or do you go finance? And ultimately, um, through some some um, a bit of luck, I, I ended up making a decision to go CPA route. And then I did MBA school, grad school. Um, at night, which I did in finance, w- when I knew that I was done and didn't want to be, you know, a public accountant partner that kind of thing, and so when I was ready to pivot back into finance, the MBA kind of provided a perfect platform and time to do that. But I did that uh, in the evening hours. So early in the program, I almost interrupted you to say that I would imagine that a lot of your clients have a real comfort level, uh, and. As well as the uh, accountants uh, and attorneys, specifically, uh, that you're a CPA. Um, you know that's that's got to put you in a different category because I would imagine there are people who perform valuations um, that have a good grasp of accounting but are not CPAs. So that's one credential uh, that you have. Um, you built upon the undergraduate studies with the MBA program. Um, with a focus on finance, so it's like a hierarchy going from accounting, which is some of the minutia uh, associated with finance, to finance itself, which is a, the bigger picture associated uh, with business administration. Um, and then you since uh, acquired accreditation as a uh, Business uh, in business valuation, an ABV uh, went on to um, be an accredited senior appraiser. You, that's the ASA, and you also have a, a CEPA. Uh, uh, is that referred to as a CEPA? Yes. And uh, uh, tell us because that's the most recent credential, and that uh, actually we're announcing for the first time publicly. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about that. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, um, generally the CPA, you know, gave me a great base. You know, you can't run from accounting. Even if you want to be a finance person, you know, accounting numbers are the story of the business. You know, they paint the story of whether things are bearing out, you know, um, or not. And so um, the CPA grade gave me a great foundation. Uh, as I delved into valuation and investment banking um, early on, the in order to really get the theory around what you're doing, um, really called for you know getting a credential within your own space. We're closing the program, but I did also want to mention that you're a member of the Georgia Society of CPAs, a member of the American Institute of CPAs, a member of the Appraisal Foundation, member of the Beta Gamma Sigma National Business Honor Society, member of the Tech Association of Georgia, and a member uh, of the Association for Corporate Growth. You have many, many uh, uh, credentials, but also uh, affiliations with organizations that just help you stay up to date on um, exactly the field that you're in. Uh, So you're ideally suited, in my opinion, to do what you do. And a busy man. Um, 
David, thank you so much. Uh, uh, I want to thank uh, your wife and kids because uh, I asked you before if you had a wife and, and kids, and you do, and they're probably very supportive of you. Again, thanks for taking the time to be in the business hour. We've been listening to David Hearn of Surfair Associates and the business hour, which is on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll see you on the radio and Internet next week. Have a great weekend. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.